there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If I said to you, you can have James Ward-Prowse for the season or you can have Conor Gallagher, mm. who would you I, take? I would have Ward-Prowse. Yeah. My question at England level is Kieran yeah. Trippier his problem. Let's talk about James Sancho. Dev is... I can't, wait. I can't wait. By using language like he's a scapegoat, he's this. That's very divisive, very serious language you're using to throw your manager under the bus because the manager did not throw you under the bus. Leicester's relegation is the reason that Man United lost against Arsenal. The two foremost institutions in this country are the monarchy and Man United. This next bit I'm not going to enjoy saying. So. Are we having a truth? first four game weeks of the season often come with the caveat of it's only early, no need to overreact. But what gets overlooked massively is that the first four game weeks are followed by an international break. So the first four game weeks are in fact crucial as it determines what the state of play is going into what is essentially a two week off period for most clubs and can actually define how managers approach that time off. For instance, look at Chelsea. They've struggled hugely when it has come to scoring goals and being killers in the box. So by having a break after only four game weeks, he now knows that he actually has a good period of time to work with the squad unless they've all been called up and can get them scoring goals. Or if you're Gareth Ainsworth, you don't have to worry about anything, guys, (laughs) because something's happening. The boys are winning games. And so you can just be a smiley long-haired football manager. Uh, Welcome to the Ripple Effect. We have two debutantes joining me today. We have an Arsenal fan and a Man United fan, but two people that know a lot about football. So we're going to have a look at all sorts of Ripple Effects that could have come from the first four games. It's a good way of doing it. Often we're sort of, we're battling with the sort of looking backwards and the looking forwards. This is one where you're going to kind of chuck one out there, which is becoming more and more prominent, I think, with YouTube. It's kind of sort of trying to call it really, really early. Um, And you guys have been brilliant on Twitter. You've given us loads of different options and quick fire ripples for us to go through. And then we're going to talk about, of course, Arsenal and Man United in a little bit more detail as well. But joining me. Dev Bajwa, who from nowhere is a TikTok <laughs> sensation. Uh, well, I say nowhere through a lot of hard work. Yeah, I was going to say, give me some Yeah, credit, yeah, Dave, absolutely. Come on. Um, so me and Dev are actually going to do a podcast talking about AC Milan and uh, Real Madrid, but more so Ancelotti and AC yeah. Milan, because we're doing something on the channel uh, about Bellingham and AC Milan that will be dropping soon. And uh, yeah, we're excited to talk yeah, about that one. Good. It's going to be great. And then Mr. Moneypenny. Pleasure. This Alexander, is... Alex, Al. Either for any of them. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah, this this so studio nice. is amazing. Alex is uh, doing some great stuff on YouTube uh, with The Different Knock, which is uh, an Arsenal channel. In particular, just, just Arsenal, are we moving around? Currently, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you boys feel, but like, I feel pretty confident putting out my Arsenal opinions. On, my, on, mm-hmm. on other clubs, I start to go, I think it's this. <laughs> and yeah. like, I'm pretty, you know, so yeah, it's, it's mostly Arsenal. Uh, I have a podcast and stuff and appear on a few other things, but yeah, sort of video essays, 12 minutes, 
Bosch one it's good idea. Stuff. Put it's it good out. stuff. Thank you, mate. I've been diving into them. Thank you, mate. So, yeah, make sure you check out both of the guys. We'll put links into uh, the description. Make sure you follow the podcast if you haven't as of yet. We are ticking along when it comes to our ratings. We're really, really proud of what we've done so far. 3.5, but obviously we do 3.5K, that is, um, five-star ratings, which is really, really special. Amazing. We'd love to get to 5K. It would be pretty astounding, and it would mean a hell of a lot. So if you don't mind giving us five stars, because hopefully you've enjoyed yourself, then that would be wonderful. But maybe give yourself five, ten minutes and we'll see how, <laughs> see how it goes. Um, no pressure, boys. Right, uh, let's get into Quickfire Ripples straight away. Now, I, I don't know if I say his name wrong, but I've actually, I don't, I don't think I've ever met Sam. I'm going to say Sam Tiggy or Tig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would Sam, you say it? I think it's, is it Ty? Tig, okay, uh, sure. Sam. Please tweet me just so I know. Yeah. Uh, I've read his stuff. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, really intelligent yeah. guy. Knows so much about European football, and uh, I think works for. Well, his profile's got a little uh, Tifo IRL background there, so oh, I nice. think he's he, he clearly knows his stuff. Mm. So what happened was I asked uh, you guys on Twitter to let me know what ripple effects have we seen from the season so far. So we're going to run through some of those before we talk about Arsenal and Man United. So Sam, uh, Tig, yeah, T. <laughs> Yeah, Sam, Mr. T, he says, Tyrone Mings' injury leading to Villa's highest defensive line being far less stable, leading to two whopper defeats. There's plenty of moving parts to it, but it begins with Mings. Now, this turned into a bit of a spat Mm. on Twitter, sadly. Uh, Aaron said, pretty daft going to places like Newcastle and Liverpool playing high lines. And Geordie JT said, worked last season with Mings. And then Sam came back with receipts. And uh, I won't read all those out because it yeah, started to get, started to get <laughs> ugly. But he, uh, no, he dealt with it well. Um, Aston Villa. Mm. Everyone was talking about them being pretty impressive this season. The recruitment was there. But also we've all been knocking around long enough that the team that everyone's kind of hyping up mm. can have a sort of a, you know, a wobbly start at times. They've had some tricky games. How do you feel about Aston Villa? And in particular that... The tactics that Emery seems to continue to employ mm. against mm. Liverpool and Newcastle. Well, I have to preface all of this with the fact that I'm an Arsenal fan, <laughs> so I have an Emery uh, PTSD. Yeah, where, so <laughs> that's a great. Well, let's start there. Let's start there. Where are you? How do you feel about you know Unai Emery? I respect Unai Emery mm. so much. I think he's an incredible football manager, and I think he's. A, I think he was massively disrespected by a lot of Arsenal fans. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pretty nasty undertones to a lot of that. Actually. Yeah, but. There is a story with Unai that keeps repeating. Mm-hmm. Wherever he goes, he overperforms his XG, mm-hmm. early doors, does really well. Arsenal, 22-game unbeaten run. I was reading before I came in here. Yeah, that I he, remember that. A lot of Europa League in that. A lot, <laughs> a lot of Europa League and a lot of Lacazette 1-0s. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I think I was reading before he came, uh, when he first came in at Villa, they scored 15 goals from like 9.2 XG or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they conceded five from 8.6 or something. I'm sure there's similar data at Sevilla, PSG, whatever. I just think when I look at Unai Emery, I think he's an incredible manager. I think he's a really respectful guy. But I think there's a ceiling on that type of football and possibly can come on to this Man United as well. I think when you look at sustained success, any any Premier League football team, but football teams broadly, I think it comes from leagues and titles and and longevity comes from controlling football matches. Mm -hmm. And to come back to what you were talking about in terms of tactically, I think Unai basically pays too much respect to the opposition and doesn't necessarily focus enough on his own game model. Mm-hmm. I saw that Arsenal, he just 
tinker too much. And there's a game that is sort of embedded in every Arsenal fan's memory, which is this game where we conceded 30 shots to Watford at home. And this was when Watford were like, you know, yeah. not not good, not been particularly good. Um, so yeah, I just I just think there's a ceiling on that type of football, and I I, lo- I love him as a as a man and as a manager and I respect him but I just think seventh eighth is mm-hmm. about where he's always going to be I do think they've been unlucky though to be fair especially with the injury and is it who, who else they got like Buendia Mings is, uh, a few other people out yeah um, I th- look I think the thing with Emery I think it's a fair conversation mm-hmm. like Villa fans will get annoyed by that but I think it is a fair conversation because with Arsenal I think with most teams there's being concerned about the opposition and then them being concerned about yeah. you. And I think what what I'm confused about is the fact that this high line doesn't kind of play into that Villarreal style that, mm. that works so well for them that I could you could see the sort of essentially a similar kind of idea being moved across to to Aston Villa. And when you've got Diaby and Watkins, you want space in behind. Yeah, so exactly. when you're then playing Liverpool and They've not got Virgil van Dijk playing and they're playing that you can see they want to get the ball to Trent so quickly. Yeah. Sort of in game, that was my confusion, both with this one and the Newcastle game. Because, it, I mean, the results have been really... All over the place. All over the place. Yeah. Like yeah. a 4-0 victory against Everton, a 3-1 uh, victory away at Burnley and then 3-0 defeat, 5-1 defeat to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. I think, the th- yeah, the thing for me is who who are they trying to be? Mm. And I think they needed a second game plan for the Newcastles, the Brightons, the the Liverpools that are gonna they're just gonna pick you apart. Yeah, they? and and there's a huge shift in mindset now for Aston Villa that I think they're struggling to comprehend with earlier in the season. So last season, when you have Gerrard and the only wave was up, Emery exceeded all expectations, kind of outside of the veil of you know you need to do this you need to do that where Gerard came and spent a load of money probably didn't spend it he got a bit unlucky because we're now seeing Diego Carlos be integrated into the team whereas he was injured pretty much all of last season yeah. and he's probably shaken off the cob he's definitely shaken off the cobwebs and having to replace Minks so you have all of that and then all of a sudden Emery's gone from the messiah in the West Midlands and being you know that guy to now okay you've done that now you need to get sixth seventh or hopefully higher but I think what he's he's been dealt a bit of a harsh hand with um the injury I think it's not hot I, I can speak as a United fan like it's not hard to go through the early stage of the season and get a, key, a couple of key injuries in your squad mm. and sustain any form of consistency you just can't get that but I think what he's needs to get back to is because I have a feeling on Emery as well where I don't like him as a fan because he always beat us but the reason he beat us is because he was very he was kind of a bit of a reactive manager where he would pinpoint the threat and nullify the threat so when we played them in Villarreal Europa League and it went to that stupid sudden death final with the goalkeepers I think De Gea missed Uh, I think you know De Gea (laughs) (laughs) I think I love you David but um yeah when we when we got through all that I just remember thinking none of our big boys came to play but then why he has certain players in that Villa squad where I think if you needed to man mark and if you needed to nullify a threat, you have that. So you need to use that more. Like John McGinn is, you know, he's he's one of those players that can. I don't really know what his best role is. I don't think he knows what his best role is. But I, do you know what? I, I, what I will say is Liverpool away, mm. Newcastle away is not. They're tough. Fixtures. That's tough difficult. Fixtures. I yeah. think in the fullness of time, what I want here's it's the challenge here to you, Unai, if you're listening, is. <laughs> Fix it. Yep. Like that, that's the, thing, the sort of trying to stick with this high line mm-hmm. just feels a little bit dangerous. It did work last year, and as Sam says, 
Tyrone Mings being a huge, huge part of that. But there were games where it could have hung in the balance. It yeah. wasn't an overpowering uh, victory at times. I think maybe that's what he's maybe trying to get to mm-hmm. with uh, those games against the, the lesser sides. They have been overpowering. Yep. So maybe that's where they're trying to go with it. Uh, I think it's one of those where, I mean, for, for a lot of these, we're going to have to wait and see how they play yeah. out. But I do feel like still above above Man United, okay. above Chelsea <laughs> there we in go. the table. Above Man United. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's not, I don't think it's time to worry. I think it's, <laughs> no. it's definitely kind of, um, I don't know what the phrase is for it, it's sort of resultism. Yeah. You know, yeah. recency bias. You kind of got pumped by Liverpool and it, mm. it was getting scary at one point. It doesn't point. look good. But yeah. I think peak beneath the surface, you've got a really good manager. You've got a really good set of players, a good amount of balance in the squad as well. And a couple of injuries. Yeah, just mm. just just wait out this period and go for it. I guess in terms of that move up, because mm-hmm. I guess both of you guys have sort of experienced it, you know, in terms of the drop and then working your way up again. There does seem to be layers in that. I think Jurgen Klopp had that for a while where yeah. it was like, he sort of did a bit backwards where it was like, we can we can really go toe-to-toe yep. with all of the top teams, but we can't seem to beat this team yeah. that sort of, you know, curled up into, into a ball. For Aston Villa, maybe again, that is part of the plan for Unai Emery mm-hmm. where he's going, we're going to play this style of play and that's going to hurt us maybe in one or two of these games. Yeah. But this season is about utterly dominating those other guys mm-hmm. and then you can take that next step up. Mm-hmm. Time will tell. Yeah. Property Prince. At Property Prince 4. There you go. go <laughs> Reese, uh, Reese. Rice leaving means Tim Staten and David Moyes have done a proper money ball and replaced him through combining traits of James Will Prowse and yeah. Edson Alvarez. Sat in the top four, having played two of the best teams in the league already and one of the more banana skin games, Luton's first game in the Prem, prem at home. West Ham for Europa League and top four. Oh. So, bit of a ripple effect here for you. <laughs> I was with you until that last year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. James Will Prowse joining West Ham makes the West Ham centre backs must haves in FPL. Thank you for the 11 points, Zuma, <laughs> says Kai, who is, uh, is watching on Kai's our producer. How are we feeling about West Ham? I think they've done fantastically. Mm-hmm. I, that is, if you want, if anyone wants a model on how to recruit for a football club, West Ham is it for this. You've lost your, be- your best player. Everyone thinks you're going to go fall by the wayside and they were being linked with some subpar players as well. I say that because United were trying to flog off like McTominay and Maguire for like 60 odd mil and then they didn't get them and then they end up replacing them with better players. Like if I wanted two of the players, I wanted all three of the players they signed. I wanted Alvarez last season, Kudus last season and I wanted James Ward-Prowse this season mm-hmm. and I initially thought 30 million for a relegated James Ward-Prowse have they overpaid? But then when you're looking at David Moyes, the type of football he plays, how reliant they are on set pieces, how domineering their centre-backs can be when they're on it, because Aguerd is one of them where he can have a great game and a really off game, but Zuma's a bit more consistent and a bit more threatening. And you've got one of the best set-piece takers of all time in the Premier League. He has to be talked about in that way because the stats don't lie on that front. If If he's beaten David Beckham in certain instances, and we still think of David Beckham in that way... Ward-Prowse is not just set pieces, but he's got an engine. He's a leader. He was a leader for West Ham. One of the most underrated players from last season, even though they got relegated, because he still dragged them in to get a few wins. One against, I think, City in um, in one of the Cups. So I think they've recruited incredibly. And I, I think I'm looking at the net spend. It wasn't even... I don't even think they spent that much more I think all the they got three players and they lost Rice but forgetting wages and sign-on fees because we don't actually know what that is you can look at conservatively maybe a 10-15 mil net spend on three players who when you've got Europe and you've got 
people actually starting to come down on you now because you've got some good players. They're going to, and they can play multiple positions. They've done brilliantly well. And I'm, as a United fan, I'm jealous of what West Ham have done. Moving around to from that sort of Aston Villa, West Ham mm. mindset, it's quite good moving from Villa to them because Villa are, Villa are what West Ham were last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they sort of brought in, spent a bit of money. Oh, okay, go play great football and pump teams. Mm. And mm. they didn't really know how to do yeah. that. There's a lot of heat on, like we talk about recruitment. Yeah. It's, the hypocrisy in, in all of us all the time is incredible. Like how quickly we can change our minds. Like the recruitment, I'm not going after you, I'm going after the no, no, it's every day. <laughs> so the recruitment, yeah. we're like, wow, Matt yeah. West Ham equals yeah. great recruitment. Yeah. Last year, yeah. it was, the, it was like, and yeah, and, yeah, and David Moyes can't handle these kind of players. Yeah, I think there's, there's a few learnings here. Like, but what I will say is that he has, especially with that first game against Bournemouth in the league, they did sort of go revert back to the yep. season prior where mm. they weren't kind of asserting themselves as much mm. they will sit back a little bit more let Antonio do what Antonio does mm. let uh, uh, let Jared Bowen kind of have that little bit of space to do his thing as well but I think the the big learning here is that it's okay, it's okay to move on or yep. it's almost mm. dangerous to be so sort of dependent on one player isn't it correct I, and I agree with that I think sitting alongside that though is what historical precedent do we have for a club replacing that level of player mm. and going up probably Liverpool I think that's the only like when Liverpool sold Coutinho for right. like 150 mm -hmm. mil and went on and got what, Salah, Alisson and all these others I think everyone especially at the time when where Liverpool were they, they weren't the Liverpool of today but I looked at it and thought thank god they're selling Coutinho but then they'd gone out and spent less and I went in other areas I think Liverpool are, are a good example but I think they were in a position where they could go yeah, out yeah, yeah. and attract Virgil yeah. van Dijk they everyone else attract they Alisson, couldn't do it yeah. but West Ham aren't going to be able to do that so you know they've gone for it and look you know we've got champions of the Dutch league and the yeah. Belgian league coming to Bournemouth or whatever you know yeah, like yeah. with the Premier League is the Super League right but yeah. I still do think you know I'm looking at like the Bale situation mm. you know all the other sort of you know Aston Villa with, with Jack Grealish yeah. you know all, Ronaldo all these guys <laughs> like you know if you're going from clubs that historically are mid-table clubs yeah. you know whatever you want to think about them going forward I never feel confident that that's going to go right. That Declan Rice sale is going to catapult yeah, West Ham no, to no. X, Y, Z. They've spent the money really well, and I think it will sustain them, and I think they've done really well in the market, let's be yeah. clear. The one thing with West Ham, I think the London Stadium move wasn't a mistake because it was the right thing to do from a business perspective. But a club like that and a club like Crystal Palace, mm. a club like Aston Villa, they rely on that home form. They mm. rely on making that a really... Everton, if they weren't at Goodison Park, they'd yeah. be in the championship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's right. be clear. Like, you know, that, and I'm, that's no disrespect to Everton, but I think every Everton fan would say that. They'd mm -hmm. say, you know, Goodison Park is a stronghold. Arsenal have had so many problems over there going to Goodison Park because it's so intense. Yeah. It can, I, but it can, it can be the opposite too. Yeah. I mean, there's true. a lot of talk about that when it comes to Good, Goodison Park as well, that it can, it can, it can hurt. Turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they're moving, aren't they? Right and well. they're moving. So, like, if, yeah, if they end up moving and then we see like a downturn in fortunes, For sure. then we'll see. But I agree with you. I think when we do, when United go away to any of these so called smaller clubs and we have that atmosphere, it's because it's not as cushy and as nice and as mm -hmm. relieving as some of the places they're used to. Yeah. yeah. And that's why they struggle. Like, we'll get onto United, but when we go away to Galatasaray, that'll be an issue for our players. And, <laughs> and we saw at Anfield they crumbled and a few other places they they will again um but yeah I I agree with you but but West Ham have done I didn't I didn't expect I think you agree I didn't expect West Ham to do as good a job replacing one of the best players that they've produced in the Premier League era as they have so soon I thought it would take a lot longer than just Kudis one, one is summer. a baller yeah I wanted him at Arsenal so much you were linked <laughs> with him weren't you you were, yeah, you were linked right. with him yeah. finally on Jack with two questions first of all James Ward-Prowse hmm. 
I mean, in the modern game, when we're talking about stats and stuff like that, that that is um, I I said that on I think I said that on Sky like in March, mm. like I think we were saying Leicester if they'd stayed up he'd be good for Tillemans mm. as a replacement, yeah. but otherwise West Ham like for Declan Rice like in terms of output, mm. this guy. I think this guy's so disrespected. Yeah, 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 yeah. A bit like Beckham was a little yeah. bit because he's not okay, right? He's not as fast as this guy. He's not as strong as this guy. He's not whatever, right? I don't care. Yeah. Like if you change the game, mm. which he did Always time does. and again, yeah. and James Ward Prowse does time and again. Yeah. Like, do you I'm, think, do you think was... it's about what we? Sorry to interrupt, but do you think it's what about about what we value in the game now because of the way Pep's influenced in the English game? Do, I think it's value things it's that. I interviewed Gareth Ainsworth and I said, you know, you've got a good team. You've got a lot of ballers here. Like you just said baller. Mm. And Gareth Ainsworth was like, I hate that. Why is yeah, everyone using that care. word? Yeah, Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't <laughs> want, he doesn't want ballers. He yeah. wants substance. Efficiency, and yeah. David Beckham, for all of his beautiful smile, skin, fashion <laughs> sense, hair, he was pure substance. Yeah. Mm. I remember watching him Top in a game class. and his mindset was just fantastic. His stamina was brilliant. And actually, there'll be there'll be a moment where the ball's kind of making its way along. And I'd look to where the... Okay, where's David Beckham? Mm-hmm. He was already there. And so he played... He hit, he touched the ball once. Yeah. But the ball then was on the six-yard line. Yeah. And so if the ball can be on the six-yard line, mm. then you've done your job. You yeah. don't need the step-overs and everything else. No. So I think James... Like, I'll probably do my like England squad selector like yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. I like to do it like along mm. the way. I always want him. In, yeah. If yeah, I was going about Southgate, oh, I would 100%. always want him in my squad. Yeah, but it's also the I think we. So like, why bec- is he not in there? I think because of the modern game. Well, one was well, the thing with Southgate is like it's all this thing. Is he favoriting players and all this thing? I don't. I can't subscribe to that because I don't know. All I can say is from my point of view, looking at football, it's the fact that I want someone who can offer more than what people say that he offers. So James Ward Prowse gets put into a box. He says, "Get a dead ball." Yeah, he's awesome. But it's like with a travelling ball, he's very good. He's very efficient in his short range passing. Neat. He's very neat. neat. His engine is insane. And I think there's there's certain things stats can't look at. Like when um, West Ham go behind, the first person G and everyone up is the new guy James Ward Prowse, mm. and he's there probably thinking, you know, Rice has gone. I have to step in and be mm-hmm. that kind of guy and he's a diminutive player and all these things might play against him I think him, in but... the World Cup I think he took Conor Gallagher yeah. instead mm. of of him if I said to you you can have James Ward-Prowse for the season or you can have Conor Gallagher mm. what would you say and don't just say it just because obviously we've been saying yeah, 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 you know, yeah. singing his praises who would you at, take at club level I would have Ward-Prowse yeah. my question at England level is Kieran, mm. Tripp- Kieran, Kieran <laughs> Trippier his problem because I'm not sa- mm. I'm not saying Trent and Trent, which yeah. is, I'm not saying mm. that he's as good at, as good as James Will Prowse, but in terms yeah. of deliveries, Southgate yeah. might just weigh it up and go, look, do I take an extra midfielder? Because he plays give them. Me this? Yeah. Because yeah. he and does he, play them as you've well. You've got Rashford but... scoring World Cup free kicks as well. Mm. So there's a yeah. lot of uh, people in the way there. But he is. He's so good. He's the best of his generation, yeah. is he not? Yes. So the stats absolutely. say he is, 100%. No doubt. If he, I feel like if he wasn't English and if he didn't have the double barreledness yeah, and, he was, yeah. and he was from somewhere else, he, he was had called a Hammers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Every, Lucas Pacatar. Yeah, yeah. 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 everyone would love him. He's, he's top class. I love James. Totally agree. Okay. Is he your mate, James? Yeah. First name. Not yeah, talking about you. All oh, right. <laughs> oh, well, happy. Either way, either way, it's fine. Uh, Oli Carter. Uh, Wobi sold to Fulham. Forces Everton to keep Damari Gray, who makes his Instagram statement against Daesh, inspiring Sancho to do the same. <laughs> you imagine Sancho just thinking, do you know what? Yeah, it's inspired me, that. Yeah, yeah. I feel Demar- that. Damari, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, ultimately resulting in Sancho becoming, coming to Forest on loan to reunite with Cooper in January. 
Interesting. Sancho to Forest. Let's let's come back to that. I'm going to tease yeah. that. We're going to come back to Sun. Come back because we'll have a Man United section. Yeah. Uh, not Sun. Sancho. Sorry, I'm about to read Sun. Callum says uh, Sun playing centrally and scoring a hat trick due to Richarlison picking up a knock in the week. We'll see Richarlison become a backup striker once again before being sold in the summer. If he does get sold, where does he go? Oh my God. That'd be a brave. Does he go choice. home? Does he go back to Everton? That'd be a brave choice for. I don't think Levy will let Ange do that unless he's going to line up like a fifty, like forty, fifty million pound like sale. I don't think he's going to let Ange do that because time and time again he's he said he wants to get like a net spend of a certain amount. Um, so especially for a, a relatively new manager, like he's not inexperienced. He's got experience all over the gaff, really. But at the higher level, it's it's going to be tougher to say that. But I think with the way he's playing, like. Ange loves that kind of player. He loves the kind yeah. of player who can kind of give free license to do what he wants. And I think I saw Hatete at, at Celtic and I wanted him this summer because I thought he is that type of player. And um, now we've gone to Spurs and they're playing a way that we haven't seen in a while. But I think with Richarlison, he needs to be very, very careful because he's now around players who are given license to be as good as they can be. And Richarlison was always in a bit of a weird situation with Watford and weird one with Everton where he was the star and he kind of embraced the fact that he was. Yeah. He's not anymore. And mm. I think he needs to understand that he isn't. And if he can drop a bit deeper and supplement the likes of Son and the likes of Kulu who get in in front of him instead of being selfish, which he, he is, and he and strikers kind of have to be, then he'll be a success. But until he does that, I think he's in trouble. Yeah, his, his behaviour, you know, we're obviously going to talk a lot about behaviour, but mm. his behaviour will be integral here because yeah. you're right because things are going well yeah she better not oh, that's my problem you better not fuck this up the fans would be like that yeah, Poster yeah, yeah. Cogli, and Poster yeah. is not going to hesitate oh no if he kicks up fires go yeah. like can we have a word yeah. yeah what are you doing yeah but i think i thought he was going to have a really good season this season like he does fit he does yeah he fit. does fit yeah yeah, yeah. um but he is struggling for confidence. So I think he, if his behaviour is correct, he'll get another opportunity and it can be a blip as opposed yeah. to, you know, the beginning of the walls crumbling. For Does him. he not just give you huge Saudi vibes? Oh. Richardson. Well, the window's, I mean? the window's next, still next open. Next summer, so. 70 million. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was having a look at the Galatasaray team oh, and I was thinking, I can see him. The Misfits team. It was like, it was it's a Misfits oh, team, oh, isn't it? it? Yeah. It's just a misfits team, yeah. and he'd be perfect for them. Turkey, Turkish league is actually interesting now. Mm. Uh, FPL Ritz, Bournemouth and Burnley have both stuck to their play styles but had difficult fixtures and therefore not got mm. results wanted. This led both managers to changing their play style to try and get wins, but not have the but they don't have the team required, and both will be sacked in January. Who do you think will be the first manager sacked? Oh, because we're those getting, two, or no, no, sorry, because we're well, I mean, possibly, but we're. Because we're getting to sort of September, October, which, mm. as we all know, it's coming. Is sacking <laughs> season. Who do you think will be the first to go? I recently worked with someone who knows the Everton board mm. quite well. And I'm aware that the football knowledge is quite low at board level, apparently. Right. This is from one source, you know, right. in terms of not understanding the rules level, in terms of ownership <laughs> stuff. That's frightening. I wonder whether yeah. Deitch is the first one to go, not because Sean Deitch underperforms, but because they panic. Right. And they don't see the long-term impact of Sean I Deitch. I don't know if I can handle another Everton manager getting sacked in October. 
I just, I, it, it feels like the most obvious. The first thing that came to me. I yeah, just thought it, on it feels time, like the most obvious yeah. answer. I don't, who else? So down the bottom at the moment, obviously you've got some teams that have, have only played three games. Luton and Burnley, that game is postponed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got Burnley down there. And Burnley playing this 4 2 4, which I, I presume companies got planned for yep. that. And they've had kind of tricky ish. They've had really tricky games. Mm-hmm. So we give them a bit of a break there. Uh, Hecking Bottom could be one. Um, Iriola. How so? Irielin's got the sort of newness to, yeah. to survive, right? Yeah. But how? Well, I love this game. How many games <laughs> without a win could a Bournemouth manager who's currently drawn to, lost to, out of four and not one one? You don't tear up the O'Neill project to get rid yeah. of that within ten Agreed. games, do you? Yeah. No, and I, I don't think. Nor should you. Bournemouth like. has spent a lot, man. Yeah, they have. I think they kind of, it kind of went under the radar over the summer. Yeah. They spent a lot. I think it's like hundred million that yeah. spend or something. And it's like not that. a bad team. Like they no, have, they have some decent players it's in there. Decent. But I think Iriola. It's, it's a <laughs> it's a shame with Iriola because I mean he was yeah because as a player he was with Athletic like Bilbao and he, he kind of he's probably used to this idea of like you invest in the team you invest around you and you the long termism that's probably what he's used to. He's come into a situation where I I don't know what's happened with Gary O'Neill and I'm instead of looking at actual performances I'm doing what you've just done and looking at board level and I think at board level what I'm seeing at Everton it should frighten Everton fans because they, they're on borrowed time for the last two two seasons. And Sean Dyche has done his job last year. And then is he going to do his job this year and get them higher and higher? I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but and the striker I feel problem. fine about Everton. I actually really? feel quite the, calm about them, but no one else does. So maybe it, maybe I'm wrong. There's but, a brilliant athletic podcast where they go into the financial issues they're having around the stadium. Essentially, oh, okay. some, and I'm going to explain it horrendously, so please yeah. go listen to it because it's much better than I'll explain. Not now. <laughs> yeah, not now. Give this five stars. Um, but uh, essentially, they're explaining that like MSP Capital, I think who sponsored them, right. they like went, they like pulled out of a deal or something. Like basically, the the repercussions of the Ukraine war mean a, a finance has stopped. It was it's a wow, really complicated okay. thing, but essentially they're they're worried about money, Jeez. and they've also not been selling well hmm. or buying well. But but we have to say heck and bottom. Like I'm I'm sorry, but is that your guy. You're going I've not looked at Sheffield. You know, there's certain clubs that come in and you just think. It's a bit. It's going to sound like I'm not looking forward to watching you, or I'm not looking forward to you being here because it might not be a good time for you. Whereas Luton, it's like you might get a few scalps here and there, and you'll be great to watch. Incredible, one of the greatest stories in in top flight football history in the UK for sure. Yeah. But then you look at Sheffield United, I'm just like, why have you bothered? And Heckingbottom, even in his, I'm reading a bit in too much into this, but he looks a bit disinterested. He looks a bit downhearted with the lack of financial investment. And when you are, when I'm, am I right in saying they sold Sander Berger to yeah, Burnley, Burnley as well? How was that allowed to happen? And I just think you've got because he was supposed to be when they were flying back when Rian Brewster was supposed to be their their Pele, mm-hmm. and they brought Berger and then they think okay now we kick on because everyone was after but we wanted Berger under right. under Oli, and then he goes there it doesn't quite happen they get relegated it's like he's still a good I watched him last season he's yeah, still a yeah. very technical I mean, player they brought in Gus Hamer who is a different mm. player yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. is a good player yeah good technical player yeah yeah I think do you know what? I think it might be one where it's not it's not an October. It's maybe not even a November. It's a December panic this year. I do think one of the unwritten rules of football is if you have three managers in the season, it will be a debacle. So Wolves need to be careful. Yeah, they do. That needs to kind of go a bit better. I do always find myself looking at Fulham and Marco Silva because he just seems a bit... He's unhappy. Like he has a bit of a temper, doesn't he? He's stressed. Yeah. Yeah. The Mitch, yeah, the I'm not annoyed about something. Yeah, he does always seem a little bit annoyed. So that, I mean, that, but the Mitrovic thing he hated. They'd be pretty solid, shouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, 
I'm going to run through a few now. Mateta or at Trippy Maz. Uh, Palace not signing Ekatike, meaning we don't sell Mateta, meaning we beat Wolves 3 2. I really don't see how we beat them without that beautiful ball bloke. <laughs> talking about Mateta. Otto, Kevin De Bruyne getting injured in the first game led to Man City having to find a way of playing without depending on a superb cross to rescue mediocre performances, which will in the end be beneficial and add new ways of attacking for us, only strengthened by KDB's return. Or is this the end of KDB? Uh, if, the you, if you out? possibly, but it, it, Nunez and and Foden looks has has mm. had moments, especially in that Newcastle game, looked unbelievable. I think they would have to play a different way. I just look at the numbers for De Bruyne, and I just think, where are you getting twenty five goals and assists this season? Mm. Guaranteed. Yeah. If you look at his numbers, I think it's one season we hasn't hasn't hit twenty five or more. Yeah, that's at some point I agree with you. you at some point, the, the replacement of Gundogan's goals that could be Foden. Yeah, yeah. Mars's goals. Mm-hmm. It's not Doku, really. Could be no. Foden. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, it could be Alvarez, I guess. If you're, if you're saying players are going to take those goals mm-hmm. and Gundogan in terms of those big games, that is the one thing I say about Man City is that they will be generally utterly dominant. Mm. And I don't think their defence has ever been this good. Mm-hmm. No. But at certain times, you're going to need to look to someone. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been Gundogan and De Bruyne. Yeah. And, and actually, low-key, lo- like Mahrez too, actually. Yeah. Because he is, you know, very underrated for his time there. Yeah, massively so. Yeah. I actually had a massive argument with um, really? Nabade about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, okay, one for people to Did go away and have Salah? a think of. I said that Mares is one of the twenty, is in the top twenty greatest Premier League players. Players, not wingers. Players. It was close. No I'll be honest. It's, it was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was close. <laughs> it was close. But like, there's a lot. But if you think of Mares and what he has achieved. Mm. It's achievement-wise, well. yeah. And yeah. Leicester. Yeah, the Leicester, Leicester thing, yeah. Get Leicester. Uh. Dragged them. Anyway, so you give me your 20 <laughs> list on Twitter, guys. Uh, don't... Uh, R.O.P. your DMs. Yeah. Yes, uh, Samuel Parkinson, a Liverpool have dodged one by missing out on Mount and getting Sabojlai instead. I think that's a whole podcast. So yeah, let that one go. Um, Spurs update HQ. Uh, Levy wanted to get rid of Hoiberg, but didn't let him go to Fulham because that meant that Bayern would get Polina. And this increases their chances of winning the Champions League. So Levy said no. So Kane wouldn't win a Champions League. Harsh. Very harsh. But, but possibly true. Guys, you are listening to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. Uh, after the break, we're going to be talking about Man United and Arsenal. This next bit I'm not going to enjoy, so... Are we having a truce? Like, can we just say, you know, just keep it... I'll keep it nice. I, I, as I told you earlier, my, my dad was a United fan. I've got a big, a massive soft spot for them, and I feel yeah. I feel quite sad about really? it. Really? Can we talk about that? Of course can, yeah. So, okay, so, so your dad's a Man United fan? My dad, unfortunately, my dad's no longer with us, but he, he passed away in 2017. My dad was a United fan. He was from Manchester, so and I was a United fan. Do you remember when uh, Rooney made his... You uh, were a United fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when Rooney made his debut for Fenerbahce? Against uh, Fenerbahce, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, course, scored course, that hat trick. Yeah, I was a United fan that day. I was watching it on a TV about this big. Uh, and then I think when I was about six, you can or... see this TV exclusively on Spotify. Yeah, right? <laughs> 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 when, yeah. Uh, and when I was about six or seven, I think I was annoyed at my dad, and I went on kickoff on FIFA, and obviously the first team alphabetically is Arsenal, so I chose Arsenal. Wow. Brilliant. See, I struggle with this because how can you how can you get the get to the depth of feeling that you inevitably have must have now when it's something so small like that? Mm. 
being six. <laughs> I think I think I just wanted to annoy my dad. Yeah, also, totally and actually, to be honest, there was there was, a, there was some boys who lived down the road. The Shara, shout out the Sharas, and they I just idolized them, and they were Arsenal fans as well. So like the older kid, I think he like played for Reading and stuff. So they, you know, I was just like, I wanna, yeah. I wanna, I wanna be like him. So right. I kinda, you know, it's kind of like that. So in terms of having, because obviously a huge row, Dev, I presume you're not an Arsenal fan. No, like anyway, that brings like I think when I was younger, I remember watching it. When this was when I was actually getting into football, and I just liked certain players, and then I liked the team. And I remember watching, I can't remember who it was now, but it was with Liverpool and the Carlsberg and Reebok shirts, and I just thought you look cool. And it was in their transition period as well, where okay. they had a lot of cool players. I actually really liked Emo Heskey and I really liked Liverpool and then I was watching a game I can't remember what it was and my dad caught me watching it and I said oh I think I, li- I, was, I must have been like six or seven as well I was like oh I think I like Liverpool and he was like no you don't and he took, <laughs> no you he, don't son and he took me to United versus Fulham and we won 4-2 saw Van Nistelrooy fell in love and that was it game over yeah. interesting so okay so you, so that, that fire's not not there when, in terms of this rivalry or have you uh, can you find some hate <laughs> I hate Chelsea mm. I don't, I think with United, I, I just, I think, yeah, just because my dad, I just, I can't, I, it makes me sad more yeah. than anything because yeah, I yeah. think of my dad and he, you know, he, he didn't, he hasn't seen any of this. Mm. So he's missed all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think of my dad now and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you're not actually not around yeah. to watch this. <laughs> See this yeah. <laughs> like, God. Okay, let's talk about this game then. Um, so ripples from the match, first mm. and foremost, and then we'll get onto the season. We will get to on to talking about Sancho, of course, as well. Mm. So, Leicester's relegation is the reason that Man United lost against Arsenal. So, Leicester's relegation... <laughs> They'll try anything. They'll try anything. <laughs> Leicester's relegation meant that Johnny Evans was never going to sign a new deal and left the club. Without a club, he starts training with Man United due to his links with the club previously. His performances caught the attention of Ten Hag and he was given a short-term deal before earning a contract until the end of the season. Martinez gets subbed off injured. Varane was injured before the game and Lindelof gets subbed off too, meaning that Evans and Maguire are left to play centre-back with the game 1-1. Without the ability to play from the back, it allowed Arsenal to be heavier on their press and allowed momentum to swing in their favour. Arsenal get a corner, 2-1. And Although he was fouled, wasn't he? Yeah. Was he fouled? It's a 50 50, isn't yeah, it? Like, I, either way. Because I can't, I think there's a lot of contentious issues with, with this game of, of the stuff that happened. But I think just for my own sanity, I just have to look at it and be like, it's a 50 50 with Hoyland and Gabriel. It's a 50 50 with um, Evans and, and Gabriel, him twice. And then Garnacho. I was thinking this on the way so. in. I wanted to kind of. So without being uh, influenced by each other, if we go through them, and the options are yes, it was a penalty or goal. No, it wasn't. Or I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just Not a word here often of football. Yeah, let's kind of give some answers here because uh, I get a lot of abuse for this because I kind of have to like go, well, in my opinion, it was. Yeah. So let's do it. So actually, and one thing actually, someone wrote a comment and I thought about it during the game and it was uh, Saka made a tackle on, yeah. I can't remember who it was. Um, was it Bruno? He was being Bruno. Was Bruno? He went Bruno. in on Bruno. Yeah. yeah, I went in on Bruno, and I remember thinking at the time, and someone was annoyed because I didn't talk about it in in my video, and I can't talk about everything. Um, but I did think it myself, so maybe it's worth talking about now. Saka, if Saka is uh, Gabriel, mm. is that sending off? If he's Casemiro, he's banned for eight <laughs> eight years. <laughs> like, We're that's... playing the if that was Xhaka game. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <sighs> I think this is my big gripe with refereeing generally. 
you don't referee a Sunday league match the same way you referee an Arsenal United match. Yeah. You just don't. And there's, I think there's certain things. Uh, my biggest thing. Explain my biggest, that for me. Sorry. What do you mean? My biggest problem with refereeing at the moment, I, I, this isn't a refereeing podcast, but very quickly, I just want to say. Are there refereeing thank, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Give it about a year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike Dean. Dean. <laughs> the referee effect. Um, so I think, I think the, the, the problem is, is I think referees all too often decide. Football is entertainment. Yeah. It's an entertainment thing and people work really hard all week and they want to watch a game be decided by the 11 players. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do have to send someone off. But what are we at, like nine reds in however many games? It's ridiculous. I understand they've got to put an edict down, but you have to referee the environment and the entertainment package Mm -hmm. as well as the game. And for example, in that situation, is Saka intentionally endangering the integrity of the sport? Mm -hmm. No, he's not. Mm -hmm. It's a foul. Mm -hmm. But, but in a different game, if you're if you're doing that in a Sunday league match, yeah, you're off mm. because you're in danger. You know, there, there's an intense intensity right. and a rivalry and an entertainment that millions of people are watching. So, so kind of, I was going to ask, and you kind of maybe answered it. Uh, I'd be interested to hear what you say as well, Dev. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a place for common sense with refereeing? Because I've had this with my friend who was he was a winger, and he used to get fouled a lot. <laughs> whereas I was a centre midfielder who would leave a little like, yeah, nudge yeah, yeah. on here and there, right? Because yeah, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. slow. Yeah, and so. But common sense or getting the ball or let's say we're common sense for now. Do you think you can have that? Because there's often something about like someone having an attack in the first minute as opposed to the mm-hmm. 90th minute mm-hmm. intent, like but, you said, as well. There's, there's, there's got to be. There's got to be. But the, pro- the problem is, is we still if you invented this game right now, if you said, right, we're going to start a game. There's going to be nets at either side. There's going to be 11 men on the pitch, whatever. How are you going to manage it? Are we going to get one bold bloke to run around and make all the decisions mm-hmm. when there's a hundred cameras around? You would, you'd get laughed out of the pitch room. Mm-hmm. They're worried about undermining the referees. The referees should be essentially a vehicle through which the off-field referees decide because they're sat there with all the camera angles mm-hmm. and, and they're there to manage the product. And, and I think there is common sense there, but at the moment... It's decided by one person. Is that going to slow it down? You know, what's the the, um, the VAR, a camel is a horse by committees. <laughs> well, possibly, and there would be some problems with that. But if you look at, like, for example, in rugby, mm. they have like sin bins, yeah. and they have they have ways of not ruining the product while still punishing the team. Yeah. Mm. And that we've got to look at that. Yeah. But would... would <laughs> He's off! No. Should Saka have been sent off? <laughs> not for me. Not for me either. I See, not for me because... He didn't mean to. No, but if it was Casemiro and there was some of these last year with Casemiro, sometimes, so uh, go and find, go and find a a clip of uh, Andre Dezel making this match-saving tackle. It's against Middlesbrough at the weekend. We won 2-0, guys. (laughs) And in the lead up to that, Jack Colback is chasing down the defender. He absolutely, completely tries to swipe him out. He's no way near near him. He's running out of time. The intent is there. And it, He's fortunate that there's players behind him, so it, it's a booking, right? Mm-hmm. But it's clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think with the right kind of referees, I think you can see intent. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think you can see the difference. Of you can. And, um, and so, that, yeah. Sorry, go. Yeah, I think with the with the Saka thing, like I wouldn't want him to get sent off either because I'm I'm sort of in your boat where it is it is an entertainment product and you don't ruin a Man United Arsenal game of that significance based on an accident because it was an accident. He I think he was getting pulled down and he just stretches legs out and he caught Bruno, but. I would say there was a bit of a follow through on Bruno. It didn't look great when you nothing when you slow it down looks great. But the common sense thing is like it has to be common sense based on the offense and not the offender because I it put the exact same situation, no malice 
like intent or anything. But if Casemiro does it, if Shaka does it, then all of a sudden he's off. Then that's where I want there to be common sense, but I don't trust the common sense of the people who we want to have that sense because right. they've proven time and time again that they can't do that. And I agree. If if that had happened, like Saka. It shouldn't come into it, but Saka's probably the most placid, nicest guy that you could possibly see. This see. is, the, this is a bit of a problem. That is a bit of a problem, isn't it? I don't want it to yeah, come into it. Yeah, there the is a reputation. The aesthetic of people, yeah, that, but, that, but, that leads to sort of... A lot of connotations, you know, yeah. Yeah, but, nice, but, but just yeah. racism, yeah. Like, all sorts of yeah. stuff, Yeah, right? but there was a thing that Mike Dean came out recently and said, or oh, it was a snippet from something. I think, I can't remember what it was now, but like a referee was going to make a decision yeah. and he said... So Cucurelli was pulling over the head. That was it, yeah. And he said he didn't want him to make that decision. It was his mate and all this. It's like why the hell does that come into it? And I'm of the opinion that I hate it when there's a situation where there's a foul that if it takes place outside the penalty area, it's a foul. But if it's in the penalty area, it isn't. A foul is a foul. That's the rule. And there's, cer there's certain elements where this is where common sense plays into it, where you have to go to the hard line rule like an offside or you have to be subjective like with the others. And I don't think we can trust these people enough to make those decisions. And we need independent regulation of the PGMOL as well as anything else. Are we perhaps. being unfair in going, oh, because you're bald and a little bit older, you can't be a referee? <laughs> we are, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> and they work hard. Like, let's be they clear. Do. It's oh, not, I'm, I it's don't in any way job. blame the individuals. Such they, a hard it's job. not their fault. They're put in a ridiculous yeah. position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. And then they get a, a ridiculous amount of mm. abuse for it. Yeah. I, I don't envy any referee. You just did it, out. Do you want to apologise? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> okay, let's move on to, to some of the incidents then. Yeah. So, uh, the Saka one was there and for the person who commented hopefully you understand now that I was trying to, trying my best to be fair but I can't do everything um, the penalty the Havertz penalty Havertz one yeah do you think that was a penalty or not in real time I did in real time I just thought it's Wamba Saka you're an idiot like I just straight up I said because he's one of those players where he'll, he'll swipe anyone he usually normally gets nine, the ball, nine, nine times out of ten yeah. he gets the ball so I that's why I think when Wambasaka did it because I to be fair when the game started I resigned myself to a 3-1 loss I put it on my TikTok I said we're going to lose 3-1 not I didn't think we'd lose like that but we we lost anyway there's always three goals isn't there always yeah well, always yeah, yeah yeah um so so yeah I think with with that one I saw the two coming together and I just thought you idiots you haven't spoken to Casemiro's not said a word Wambasaka's not said a word they've clattered into him and that's it and then I look at it the man's halfway down by the time his foot even brushes Wambasaka, and I think, I think Havertz is a little bit unlucky at the fact that maybe if he's a bit more overzealous with himself and runs full pelt into into the ball, he'll naturally clatter into both, and it will look like a stonewall penalty. But Wambasaka pulls out at just the right moment. I see, oh, this is interesting. Okay, think, so what do you think? No, not a penalty. Not a penalty. So I think it was a penalty. Really? The reason I think it was a penalty was because Wambasaka attempted mm -hmm. a, a challenge, yeah. right? And he was he was short. He missed, right? Yeah. He missed, right? But he was in the pathway of Havertz. So although he's made attempted to make the tackle and he's not made contact, mm. he's in the sort of the running path yeah. of Havertz. Because initially I thought, is he doing that little Jamie Vardy thing where you kick your leg? Ashley Young yeah. used to do it as well, yeah, yeah. where you kick your leg out. Mm. But I don't think he was. Mm. I think he was still. I don't think Havertz when he's running at that pace can change the way that he moves his legs about and he has committed to trying to win the ball and he didn't mm. so th i thought it was a penalty i would if it was given i wouldn't have been that angry if the fact that it was given i'm shocked that it was that it was and var overturned it yeah because that to me like that's what annoyed me when it was given i resigned myself I was like cool it's given i can see there's a little tiny bit of contact whatever but then 
the, the clear and obvious thing. Uh, don't get me started. There's nothing, there's nothing clear and obvious about <laughs> that. Leave it to the referee effect. But that's exactly. what, <laughs> leave it to their it's Coming soon. That's coming what I mean. So, soon, so I would have, so had you had a penalty after that, I'd have been like, yeah, cool. Okay. Go on. Hoyland. Is that a penalty? Yes. You think it is a penalty? Absolutely a penalty. Yeah. Do you think it's a penalty? No. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. Yeah. I'm struggling with that. Eclipse. Sorry. I've built up being fair. I'm just stick with it now. It's got me this far. It's got me that guy. Um, okay. And then the offside. See, the, I'm. Um, go on. So offside. Was it offside? No. It was not offside. No. And the problem is, is the angle they 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 showed it from. You're viewing it from there. The, if that's straight on, they're slightly to the right. You need to watch this on Spotify to see this. Um, they're slightly to the right, and you can see the angle of the grass shows you that we're not seeing the angle that everyone's got in their mind right now. Mm. We didn't see the straight-on angle of the two by, by, by side. When they did do that, he was offside. So he was offside? In my opinion, yeah. Okay, so I thought you said the opposite. I was going to say. Um, I, I'm annoyed that we're having a conversation about offside or not. And this is like... If we have the World Cup situation where they have that semi-automated offside and we can see, like, figure for figure, which part of you is offside and fine. Cool. But until I'll always have an issue with the fact that we don't know exactly when the ball is played. We don't know exactly how thick the lines are. If they overlap, yeah. what does that mean? And all this crap. And then what really irritates me is that we're with the Premier League, with the biggest league in the world. God knows how much money goes into it. And they still get people on Microsoft Paint to paint lines where they think <laughs> their body ends and where one begins. It's so irritating. I thought immediately when the goal went in, I didn't celebrate. I was like, he's off. But it was so marginal. I think for those decisions, it's like you need a yeah. different system. Do they, um, I don't think they sold the celebration very well. No. For, for like a la like late winner away from yeah. home when you've kind of been yeah you under see the it. mini sue that you tried he just went like yeah, that and, and just Rash stood was, there Rash was sort of tapped and I was just like guys yeah. sell it go sell it haven't you yeah, yeah do you remember when like Diego Maradona hand of God he's there pulling everyone yeah, in and yeah. shouting yeah. let's let's scream because otherwise they'll yeah. not give it and Garnacho uh, okay so Pain. say say we didn't have VAR okay the ripple effect of VAR say we didn't have it Awful. right so it's a penalty let's say our Saka scores it mm -hmm. Garnacho doesn't give it What's that? Where are we? 2-2. Two, 2-2, two. Two, two, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think you still go on and win it? Or do you think it ends 2-2? Two, two? Uh, not to ruin the format here, but I think the game would have played out differently. I, I just, yeah, I, I, just I just think it would have... It, I think after the penalty, it, it would have changed. So I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I think, I think that if the penalty goes in, I think United approach the game in a different way. Yeah. And, and I think we probably win on the breakaway a bit sooner. It's yeah. never the same again, is it? No. Okay. The new Premier League uh, stoppage time rules are what won Arsenal this match. In the second half, Martinez went down for a while with injury. 67th minute, Anana was booked for time-wasting. 68th minute, Garnacho's offside goal had a prolonged VAR check. These were some of the things that meant there was eight minutes of additional time, which doesn't even feel like that much anymore. <laughs> Arsenal then go on to score in the 96th and 101st minute. Is this the best use of the rule we've seen this season? Or does it mean that clubs without depth who are forced to make injury substitutions will get punished a lot this year i think you know 90 minutes is 90 minutes and however that gets done is mm. how it gets done i'm kind of okay with these elements of it i do think we should start games earlier yeah i, I think we should start a game at quarter to three now like mm. so that like people aren't going to miss it and, and and have to leave mm -hmm. um but yeah aside from that i've kind of i like there is a lot of stuff where like oh he would have done he would have kicked the ball away there yeah, yeah, yeah. that is anthony did he did. He should have got a booking for that. Yeah, I'm shocked. My, my issue with that was, okay, if he didn't hear you, who was mm. he kicking the ball to? That's what I said. 
he's lobbing it over your yeah, left back. And I was like, if he didn't hear you, I was it? like, he's, yeah, he's got skills. He's not doing anything <laughs> like that at the Emirates. But no, I, I mean, it's a tough one, but I think I love the new rule. Like as I, a fan, I love it. I, think I would love to know what he said in Portuguese because he, he mouthed something. Oh, I, don't know, I don't know what he said. Are, we, are we sanitizing the game a little bit too much with the sort of inability to say anything? I think the the hand thing, yeah. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with I'll that. I'll give that a book. You can't be doing that. Yeah. But that sort of it's a release t- and like, you know, people like face to face. Like, oh, I want to see that. But it's a totting really up process now. It's not even based on the severity of the offence. Like, Onana should never have been booked for the time that he was booked. I think there were mm-hmm. earlier times in the game where I'm thinking you're taking the mick. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. then the time when he was booked, the ball, there were two balls in play. Yeah. He'd, I didn't see it. No one else saw it. And then accumulation, I guess. And then they accumulate. always do it. For the first yeah, five, six like, games, they, they have an edict it. from PGMOL yeah, and they yeah. really push it. And then by the end, no one cares. Yeah. That's, that's, probably, what we'll, that's probably what we'll get. There's to, always yeah. a new rule and they always do it for the first yeah. five games. And then. But I like it. More football, it's, it's fine. Whatever Varane says, I know you get injured after 10 seconds, but like <laughs> normal athletes will play an extra 10 minutes and they're okay. Like it's whatever. I don't care. The Let's get onto the seasons then for. for Man United and Arsenal. Do we have to? Um, yeah. Oh. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, final thing, do, you know, was it a fair result? Um, a fair result in the fact that Arsenal should have won. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 3-1 is a bit harsh. I think if it was 2-1 and it was a last-minute rice thing, then fair. But then we go chasing the game and you snag another, a very good like third. Um, I feel a little bit harsh on them because I actually thought we played exceptionally throughout most of the game. Like we had a game plan. Yeah, I think we had a game plan where it was shut you guys up. You didn't make Onana do anything. We didn't make Ramsdale do anything to be fair, but like Onana had what one save, I think with Saka at the end and that was shot straight at Saka, straight at Onana. But I didn't see him. I have a a take on this. I don't know whether. Well, I'll just, just just quickly. I I thought it was, it was obviously a very defensive mindset from Man United. I'd also say, and we're going to get onto it. I don't, that's not Man United. No, but we, I think we had to, I think Ten Hag had to deal with the, the cards he was dealt with. Yeah, fair, and fair, fair. Because I look back at it and I'm thinking, there's five major injuries in that squad. Like, I'm not going to count Kobe Mainu because he's, he's an up-and-coming player, but we had no left-back. Both yeah. of our left-backs, we're signing Reguillon to try and cull our left-back <laughs> problem. And then we're having, like, Lindelof was not at the races, clearly not, like, match sharp. Martinez has had a niggling issue since the beginning of the season. Varane is Varane. And then, like, Dallo is playing left-back and then we've got Casemiro's not at the races. Amrabat, because we've got the Glazers, he signs too late for registration and Mount's not there so we haven't got his energy and like Anthony and Sancho will get on to, to them too but like with all that I'm just thinking how you manage to stay in the game for 90 minutes and nearly win it really very you're an inch away from winning the game True. I found that amazing actually I do find it amazing about great teams mm. I, I imagine they will be quite flimsy when they play against another team and yeah. they're under the cosh Man United Throughout the years, they're always kind of able to kind of stay in the game. I always find that really uh, impressive. Except Liverpool. Uh, except except Liverpool. Yeah, we that. <laughs> right, let's talk Sancho. Uh, you thought you deserved it, by the way, right? Uh-huh. Well, I was, I was going to say, to be honest, from from a neutral perspective, probably, mm-hmm. from an Arsenal perspective, I was really frustrated with the game. Yeah, you were very slow. I felt, my, my, my I think at the moment Arteta, and he's spoken about this, he, he did an interview with The Athletic, He's trying to find plan A1, mm-hmm. A2, and A3. And he's spoken about it because last season, plan A got us 50 points. Yeah. Early season, we were we were top, right? That was an incredible run for yeah. Arsenal. What happened towards the end of the season, we got found out because of two things. Firstly, teams tactically found us out. And Arteta almost said it. He said, it doesn't take teams 33 games in the Premier League to work, work you out. They, mm-hmm. they know what you're doing after two or three games. Right. And secondly was the Saliba injury because yeah. Saliba was so central to what we did. So what you do, you go out and you say, right, we need to find different ways of playing even within a game. I don't know if you saw the, the comments where he said about 43 formations or whatever. 
I think slightly, can I swear? Yeah. He was trying to get his dick out for the for the journalists <laughs> a little bit, I think, because yeah. he was sort of saying, because he's under, under a lot of pressure. Yeah. First time I've seen Arteta actually really go, hang on a minute, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. You back off a little bit. That's the first, and he changed it. He's earned the opportunity to show his teeth. He he's earned the right because because I think when you're an eighth and you're losing and someone asks you questions, it's fair. When you feel like you proved yourself, fine. Mm. Through this, and and I understand that because if you think about a business, right? If you're if you're you know if you're a small craft beer company and someone outbids you, you're screwed. But mm. if you're a brew house or whatever they're called and you own Corona and Fosters and Budweiser and whatever. It doesn't matter what beers anyone buys because yeah, yeah. you're going to win. I think that's what Arteta and Arsenal try and do. Right, I get that. Through that, though, I think the problem with that game is Arteta pro approached it from a perspective of, right, United don't have a second phase. Mm -hmm. They don't have a second phase. They can't progress the ball. They're the third most direct team in the league. Yeah. And Ten Hag himself has said in pre-season, I want to be the best transition team in world football. That should have been headline news, by the way, but it wasn't, and that's a whole other conversation. But the he's not trying to control the game. So I think Arteta basically went, okay, you know what I'm going to play through is let's sit back and let them let them force us long. Mm -hmm. Fine. But if your issue is for me, and this is what I'd say to Arteta, and he would absolutely ruin me with with facts and logic. Um, he he, I would say to him, if you don't think they're good enough, let's us show them. Yeah, don't them. let them show us. That was my problem. I think he was basically saying they don't have a second phase, they'll force it long and that happened. Yeah. But we ended up with 50% possession. Mm. So you end up with less real estate of the game to go out and do what you need to do. Yeah. And then when we're having our own issues, I'm sort of thinking, just go out and control the game, mm. man. Press properly. But that frustrated me. So the one, to relieve that frustration maybe somewhat, I would suggest that the, a big part of the possession is Anana having the ball. Yeah. And... If you press the goalie mm -hmm. and it, that goalie's Anana, mm -hmm. that's stupid. Yeah. Right? And be, because that's why he's got the ball. He's got the ball because he's good enough yeah. to have the ball. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to bring you in because they can't get it through the, through the lines. Mm -hmm. Because they haven't got that second phase. Anana had the ball so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the concentration from Arsenal was like, well, we're not going to fall for this trap. We're going to wait yeah. for you to play that pass. Yeah. So I think that for this game specifically, sometimes, like you say, cards you're dealt or the style of play that the team plays, that's something you kind of just have to wait for. And maybe away from home, they would be uh, a bit more um, rushed to, to, to start to playing and yeah. force yeah. the issue a little bit. I, I do hear that. I do hear that. And I'm not asking for a PPDA of four. Mm -hmm. Like we're against Fulham, I think we had like a PPD of eight or something. And I think against uh, Palace, we had a PPD of six or something. Like that. We were down in those numbers. That's probably not correct. We were at 18. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking us to be, you know, going after Anana because you're right. He's going to lob it in behind. We're going to go to Is Rashford. We scored. We're going to get done. And, and let's be absolutely clear. Yeah. To but, revive the frustration, you have got Martial up front <laughs> as well. Yeah. Right. So... That was I found that slightly odd, and there was also such a focus down the right hand side. Again, it's a problem because you have got Delo on that left hand yeah, side. We were sitting. He ducks. was playing quite narrow. Yeah. But to go down that right hand side where you've got Anthony, who's just running into yeah. cul-de-sacs, and and Wambasak, who doesn't really want the ball that much. We were sitting ducks, and I'm shocked that we had four gaping holes in our formation. And I think what left back, you've got someone who doesn't know his position as a left back, and I can't really blame Dallow for that. But he's way too central for a wide left back when you've got the likes of Saka running at you. And I'm surprised Saka didn't make a bit more of an effort to do that. Martinelli should have been a bit more direct, or even switch and go at Dallow. I'm surprised he didn't, because there were times he'd go to the byline and use his left. If you went to the byline and use your right. Maguire and Evans on stuff and you you would you would have had like scored probably a bit earlier but then Martial offered nothing and he never does I'm 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 sick of him to be honest because he I ble like bless him he started off great and then he's got his injuries whatever but you're Man United I think you need 
the, the sentimentality. Ten Hag is weeding it out. He's next, I think. Well, someone else is next. We'll get on to him. <laughs> but, um, but then we get to all of that. And I just thought, we had no midfield, really. We had Ericsson, who for me, I love, I like the guy, but it's like, in the transition, I've never seen a more useless player on the defensive transition. The attacking one, he set up Rashford, so fair enough. You glide, I glide past him. No one can keep, anyone can keep up with Ericsson and anyone can get past him, let alone your guys. So I'm surprised you didn't really take take it to us. But there's always that thing with Man United where we do have the quality, where if you do go a bit too far, we will counterattack you. Like this whole thing about systems and this and that. Sir Alex Ferguson prided himself on the quick counter-attack. That's what we've been known about. We don't have heavy metal. We don't have tiki-taka. We never have. But he would always go in and say, give it to your best players and see what they can do. Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, that's why we remember them so. so. But then it was Rashford on his own. You just had to isolate him. You go on with the rest. And then it's probably a 3-0 game. But it is what it is. I, I won't look too far into it. I yeah. won't, I'm not too upset. At the, I expected us to lose exactly that <laughs> that format. The fact I still can't watch the Garnacho goal and then watch what happened afterwards, it hurts. It's a horrible way to lose a game, but yeah. it is what it is. And I don't think I, any player should really dip their head and say it was a shame because the goal wasn't, it was a bit of luck. It flipped off Evans and went in. Po poetically, it flipped off Evans and went in. And then we're chasing the game. You get another, so... I think I think there's more than what meets the eye, but I think Gary Neville said it on the the podcast after, and he said a really poignant thing. Can we stop like, promoting other? No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry yeah. Give this one uh, five no. stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gary, if you're listening. <laughs> but he said something like the numbers and the results can influence what you've seen, and it's very true because I don't look at I up to 90 minutes I was very happy yeah. and then all of a sudden that happened say it's a capitulation yeah. it was luck and from an Arsenal perspective that's my feeling as well after that all I mean I was on our instant reaction podcast yeah. no I wasn't instantly after it I was going oh my goodness me what a game what? unbelievable yeah, yeah, yeah. buzzing next day I came to, to talk about it and I was like Oh god, we actually weren't very good. No, like that, I was like, oh, that's a concern. Yeah, I watched like the highlights from it, and I was scared. And I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can sleep now. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna have a break, and then we're gonna finally talk about Sancho. Oh. Okay. The time has come. Let's talk about Jaden Sancho. Dev is so angry. I can't, <laughs> wait. I can't wait. Okay. So, Ten Hag said this. Uh, he said that it was dropped based on his performance in training. Jaden on his performance in training was not selected, said the Dutchman. You have to reach a level at Manchester United every day. And he didn't He didn't emphasize it like that. Every day. And we can make, uh, uh, we can make choices in the front line. So, for this game, he was not selected. Jaden then said this which was surprising 8 29 p.m <laughs> please don't believe everything you read uh, i will not allow people saying things that is completely untrue i've conducted myself in training very well this week i believe there are other reasons for this matter that i won't go into i've been a scapegoat for a long time which isn't fair all i want to do is play football with a smile on my face and contribute to my team i respect all decisions that are made by the coaching staff I play with fantastic players and grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what! Exclamation mark. Dev, how do you feel about that? <laughs> so, Jaden Sancho has been at United for what three and a half years now. I put it to the table. Give me five games where he's been, Jaden Sancho. 
yeah, I, I got one. Don't have that kind of knowledge. I've got um, one, yeah. but I, th- I think with him, it's like it's it's it. You're you're coming into Manchester United, which is a one of the biggest clubs in the world, and you have to understand that. And so you're going to get scrutinised more than any other t- team, or probably any other player, being a right winger or a flashy player at Man United. You're always going to get that as Paul Pogba, like he knows what it's like. So you come in knowing all of that, and you were under. I think he was signed by Oli, so it's like you knew you knew what you were coming into. He wouldn't have sugarcoated it. You're signed by United legend. You know what you're getting yourself into. And I think when I see him at Dortmund and I look back at his performances, it's like you needed a a big man you needed someone else you didn't breeze past people and all this so I used to try and get on and say defend him because he's not that type of player to breeze past you and do all this that was never him he was intricate he was cute and he was um he was technical but the thing I the issue I have with him and it's kind of modern football as as a whole the reason I love Eric Ten Hag so much is because he's going back to basics and when I mean that Probably tactically, he is somewhat going back to basics, but we've seen so many goals last season, including Sancho's at Liverpool, where we see the Ten Hag effect and the kind of football he wants to play, the transitioning, the movement of positions. It's brilliant. But Ten Hag has been really, really good at bringing back something that Mourinho didn't, Van Gaal, definitely not Moyes or Oli. Or definitely not Ralph, but there's a steeliness to being a Manchester United player where you are going to get criticised and you are going to have this. And a lot of people came out and defended Sancho because they like him and, and all this, whatever. And they went in on Ten Hag. There's already a Ten Hag out brigade like now and I've seen it and it makes me sick because this dude is someone who he gets the ethos of Manchester United. And if you weren't good enough, you, you either put up or shut up at United. There were players who weren't flashy but who worked their arse off every single day, every single game for Man United because they'd bleed for us. Mm. Gary Neville was not an... He was a good right back. I wouldn't say he was one of the best. Like, there are other players more technical he was, We him. did a podcast, actually, on yeah. the, uh, Man United Ripple Effect 11. Yeah. And he... Uh, we, I did sort of give him his flowers for a second. He was a he really was very good, good right back. He was, he was. Time. He was, but I think if you compare him to sure. the other ones, like, he would probably have to go down in one of England's best right backs, but then compare him to Brazil's or Italy's, yeah, he's, nowhere, right. he's yeah. nowhere near. So I think, yeah, of course, but then you had players like Darren Fletcher, a John O'Shea, a Wes Brown and it's like a Johnny Evans where they would just give their all for the badge no matter what and I love that about them and that's why we love them and Sancho has an issue where people are saying he the manager can come out and the player can't what kind of hypocrisy is that there's a thing called hierarchy at a football club and there's a man called Sir Alex Ferguson who was very good at implementing that hierarchy and there's players who are far better than Sancho who performed way better that got a bit too big for their boots and they were booted out. Beckham, Stam, Van Nistelrooy, whoever. And the issue, and again, the real big, big issue I'm having with... Um, with this situation is it's been blown so badly out of proportion by what Ten Hag said. Right. Because I watched that interview. You, you look at the words. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, you look at the words, you think, not great. But then you look at the interview. Ten Hag is one of the most placid men I've ever seen in my life. And he just calmly said, that's the situation. Exactly the way Gareth Southgate said it in 2019. Exactly the way Dortmund manager said it in 2017. And City's development coach just said it when he was earlier. Like all of these started coming out now because Would of- Southgate say that exactly the same? Well, it's in the article by The Guardian. Right. And that's why I think there's there's an issue here with... And Sancho's had quite a few disciplinary issues through the various clubs that he's been at. I'm not saying he's a bad egg or any of this, but and the one thing I need to emphasise is last season, when we needed him, when we needed a right winger, because we had no right winger, I'm not going to go into why, but we had none. And with Jadon Sancho, we gave him a three-month break. He was still getting paid his full wages. He went off, I think, to Holland to work with specialists under Ten Hag's supervision. He comes back against Leeds, gets an equaliser, and Ten Hag's the first man to talk his praises and sing him. And he played a run of, I think, five, six games and did nothing. Mm. I think he did one game good against Tottenham, but we drew that game, so doesn't get remembered. And then nothing else. So... I'm afraid there is a situation where you're going to have competition and all this favouritism thing with Anthony. The fact is, Anthony 
does get tracked back. He does play how Ten Hag wants to play and Sancho has to wise up to that. And I think what Sancho has done is he's dug his own grave at Man United by saying he's by using language like he's a scapegoat he's this that's very divisive very serious language you're using to throw your manager under the bus because the manager did not throw you under the bus I I don't subscribe to the fact that Ten Hag did because you look at the two his reaction I think totally outweighs what Ten Hag said okay so so ye, I agree with that a lot more words definitely <laughs> from Jaden Sancho mm. uh, and you're right the use of scapegoat is an interesting one mm. to use and um, I guess so first thing, the sort of comparison the big clubs have, uh, often from looking at successful eras and kind of utilising that, I think is quite dangerous, mm -hmm. but also something I'm just about to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Fergie, the Fergie element here, like would Fergie have done this, would Fergie have done that, whatever, right? The one thing I would say, would, f and I think the context is tricky here because also with like, Man United players having steel and things like that. Mm -hmm. One thing you could pick out with that is today, mm. I don't think you can have a weak link at all. Mm. And and back then you could get away with yeah. a kind of workhorse in there. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's got to be so technically amazing yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's different from that point of view as well. But I don't think, I think Th Fergie would have given the hairdryer treatment to Jaden mm -hmm. Sancho. He might have bombed him out. But I don't think he would have said anything in a press conference. I don't think he would have said anything in a press conference. Now, I think if you if you go, you know, like things get clipped up, if you go like on, on Ten Hag just saying that, mm. that's not the whole context. No, that's not the whole not. story. And as you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. they really invested in him last year. Mm -hmm. And it would seem that there were some, and I'm totally guessing here, and I apologise if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. some mental health issues with Jaden Sancho, Sancho, which we've seen on numerous occasions. Rashford's spoken about this openly. Mm -hmm. um, Deli Ali's recently spoken about this. So these aren't robots, right? No. So, so there has been that desire to sort of um, invest in that person and give them that yeah. opportunity. Yeah. But so he, Ten Hag's kind of got fed up enough to say what he said. Now he said it in a very Dutch way, yeah, and not got it's quite dry in how he said it, mm. but the words are the words, and mm -hmm. it, it is a press conference. There are 15 microphones in front of you, yeah. He knows what he's doing yeah. and he wanted to have it said, and he has done that previously in games like like the Brentford game last year, yes. just and it was refreshing, right? Yeah. It was like it was kind of honest. So, depending on how you want to um kind of relate to what he's saying, you can kind of go, Did he really need to do this? or you can go, Okay, enough's enough, mm -hmm. and we don't know enough about that. But what I would also say is, I think, incredibly revealing here is two things. First of all, Sancho not being able to let it go. Yeah. I think, for me, feels like, and again, I might be wrong, It's this is clearly pressing on an insecurity that yes. he, is, he is irritated by, so much so that he couldn't let it go. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I've got a problem is far more specific. He says, I have conducted myself in training very well this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just right? this week <laughs> yeah so and I, we've all met a person not like Jane Sanchi but the vibes I'm getting from this mm -hmm. statement mm -hmm. is that he's kind of going well hang on a minute I've been really good this week this week yeah, go, well, yeah but for the last six months you've not been on time yeah. and when we see the evidence of yeah. England and Dortmund and things like that what he sees as being professional mm -hmm. clearly isn't the mm -hmm. same as what Eric Ten Hag wants from yeah. him. And very well, <laughs> very well just feels, I don't know. I just, it, there's something not kind of right yeah. about that 
um, he's sort of safe, trying to safeguard himself. Here. There's a lot more that needs to come out in the wash here. Alex, what do you think about this? There's an argument: the two most for the two foremost institutions in this country are the monarchy and Man United. Mm-hmm. There's genuinely an <laughs> argument. You go anywhere in this country, there's Everyone a Man United. Top. Like, it yeah. is, th- it is the biggest insti- sporting institution, possibly even in the world. Yeah. You could, you could, you could say that. You know, I'm sure there's there's arguments Real against Madrid, that. Maybe that's it. The the thing the monarchy does though is control the narrative. <laughs> they have people in Kensington Palace who have direct contact with every single person, the Daily Mail, the whatever that whatever they want to say will go out in the papers the next day. Yeah. My big problem with Arteta used to be there was a small thing about um, William Saliba a little while ago, where <laughs> people were saying, "Oh, do people hate Saliba? Does he hate Saliba? Does he not want to use him? Whatever." And I was like, "Just come out in a presser and say you really like him." Yeah. Don't allow this to become a, to become an issue. And I think my big thing is I think Ten Hag has absolutely every right mm-hmm. to tell his players and at every elite institution you need one person. If you go on Manchester United's Wikipedia page, it's hilarious. You go down to like their directors or whatever. They've got like a, a director of football. They've got the board. They've got a director of football operations. They've got a director of football negotiations. They've got a director of... Yeah. literally don't about believe any of it every single thing right so the football ideas firstly need to be streamlined at the club but i think they also need to get behind one figurehead and mm-hmm. it's, it feels as though to some degree ten Hag is getting that mm-hmm. at that club they need to back him to the hilt yes. with what he says but ten Hag needs to do that internally mm-hmm. if you watch what arteta does so he was uh, there was and there's uh, i put a clip out of this he, there's a press conference where he, he he's talking to Sky and he says, I've had my words twisted this week. Someone has said that I've criticised my players for, for, for the way they're training. I didn't say that. If someone isn't training to that level and to, to the level that I need, either I'm gone or they're gone. Mm-hmm. Because either I'm not doing them their job or my job or, or I'm, not, I'm not getting something out of them or they're not doing their job. But he never names someone. Mm-hmm. And I think the big problem with Ten Hag is you have to control the narrative and he, he has to understand. I think at FC 20, FC 20 mm-hmm. uh, uh, even Ajax maybe, that would be fine. But you're dealing with international superstars here and that has to happen internally yeah. in the same way that the monarchy has to deal with the Meghan Markle situation yeah, yeah, yeah. as internally as they possibly can because it's a huge thing. Mm. And I think I think that's my my big gripe with it is it's about controlling the narrative. I don't think Ten Hag's done that. Because uh, actually you're taking money off his price tag as well. Yeah, if I'd, you can be as clinical as yeah, that, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, we are. You probably should be right. And the, look, I think his his days are clearly numbered there. Like, I mean, if he I think he's done. Be interested. I mean, I'd be shocked if he plays for Man United again. But but from Manchester United's perspective, they, they almost have no choice. They yeah, but, have to back that. If they undermine Ten Hag yeah, on this, oh, gone. But what's he doing? But at the same time, I won't miss him. Sancho, yeah, yeah, yeah. like there, there, there comes a time when I think we haven't backed the manager for so long. And Ten Hag is, I don't care what anyone says. If you talk about the money or anything at Man United, if we were an efficiently run business, we would have spent half the amount of money that we have spent. Like Ten Hag said, I knew that Ten Hag wanted Anthony before he even came. Everyone else knew it as well. He said it in March that because that's when we announced him. He said it then he wanted to bring some of his players and Anthony was the big one. They waited until near deadline day and offered 90 million euros. So I don't I, like we are the pound for pound, probably because of how big we are, probably one of the worst run clubs in the world. And everyone's laughing at us. And to be honest, when it's your turn, you take it. Like I was laughing at Hicks and Gillette. I was laughing at Cronkay when he wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. And I was laughing at probably everyone was laughing at Ken Bates and everyone at Chelsea. So it, it does happen and it, there's ebbs and flows. But this, this is but, an opportunity in my opinion to actually to right that wrong because in terms of in terms of 
uniting behind one idea. If you look at any sustained period of success, mm. it's come behind one figurehead, really. Yeah. Yes, there's been uh, other yeah. people, but Wenger, Ferguson, yeah. Klopp, Guardiola, any sustained period has come behind one figurehead. And if, if Man United could take this opportunity and turn it into a positive and say, this is our moment to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to say to we're back backing behind Ten Hag. Yeah. So mm. it but, could be a positive. But then we have owners who I haven't seen who haven't seen the light today until they decided actually yeah in 2009 we're going to be like we don't want to invest in the women's club oh they made the FA Cup final let's let's get private jet to Wembley and let's put the debt on the club and then look we're here everyone loves us and like let's shake everyone's hands like we we are the, one of the worst run clubs in the world so they won't do that and these operational people like I heard Matt Hargreaves director of football negotiations he was why do you need more than have, one but have like you, have you got have you got can you get Wikipedia like yeah, sure. the amount Can you go on Man United and just look at, I think it's like current staff or something like that, and just read it out? Yeah. I, I, I genuinely think you could boil all of Man United's problems down to this list. Because when you're coming into a football club, if I'm coming in, as a, even from an external perspective, I'm, I'm looking at Ma- Manchester City and who's responsible for the mm. football ideology at the club, yeah. Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Who's responsible for the football business at the club, mm. Chicky Bagheristain. Yeah, Bagheristain. Bang, done. Yeah. At United... Have you got the list? I mean, Could you, coaching staff or what j- staff? J- it's like, like it's, it's like board staff. directors. It's just below that somewhere. Uh, coaching staff, management, Man, Man United Limited. Okay, yeah, we've got a lot here. So okay, so we have, so we've got co-chairman. Do you just want the titles? Just you could read them out or say how many how many are in there. Okay, so co-chairman Avram Glazer, Joel Glazer, chief executive uh, Richard Arnold, uh, Cliff Batty's the chief financial officer. The chief operating officer is Colette Roche. The chief legal officer and general counsel is Patrick Stewart of Star Trek. <laughs> Non-executive directors, Brian Glazer, Kevin Glazer, Edward Glazer, Darcy Glazer, Robert Latow, John Hooks, Manu Shawnee. Then as honorary presidents, directors, football directors, deputy football director, technical director, director of football negotiations, director of football operations. I mean, and none of them know what they're doing. How on earth can anything get done? But we just, we just, (laughs) we whittled off eight non-executive directors who technically don't have a say in the operational running of the club, but they have a say in the ultimate like direction of it. That's why the sale and everything's taken so long. But we are the most pathetically run football club, and we're run by people who don't care. Like if 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 we were to look at how much money has been invested by the Glazer family themselves. Like, I I can everyone can say you know United spend this and that. I can safely say that's our money. We can spend whatever the hell we want because we're Man United. The fact we're now looking at FFP and using that as an excuse is nonsense. We're Manchester United. This is Manchester United. Man. It is. We are the big... <laughs> we're very good. Uh, very good. He did, very he did good. one with Roy Keane. Honestly. Yeah. That Honestly. was really good. Like, you wouldn't believe. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> wow. That's really good. But uh, no, like, I think... We're, couldn't you've done that for the whole thing? I was <laughs> sorry, going, oh, Gary Neville. Yeah. I could yeah. put Gary Neville on it. Yeah. But, um, but right. no, we'll see. Like, I think with Sancho, like to, to come back to the Sancho point, he's, he's a... He's emblematic of a w- much wider problem at Manchester United. It's not just him. It's not because Ten Hag has done a good job in weeding out certain players this window. Sancho should have been one of them because he's clearly got like some issues that he's dealing with personally. I don't know what he's dealing with, so we can't go into that. He's, he's frustrated, isn't he? Is, he's clearly. not playing football. He's come for a big price. He, yeah. he thinks he's a great player. I think he is a great player, but it's mm. obviously not worked there. Cement your place. But, like like yeah. Skulls came out recently and said when Veron came, he thought, oh, it's maybe my time to either put up a shut up. And what did Paul Skulls do? Became the greatest. Yeah, I think if everything was fine, Sancho would be playing. Something's not. Something's yeah. wrong. No, for sure, for sure. But Skulls didn't have an agent. Yeah. Sancho will have PR teams mm. and coaching, personal coaching, staff social and personal media managers, and At social media. Point, it's you know, on him, though. No, no, a hundred. And I'm not saying that, but the point is more that players 
that the way you deal with players now is different yeah. and it is his responsibility yeah. but this is why it's even more important to control the narrative because they have entire teams themselves that mm. can control it themselves yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying really. I think let's talk about Arsenal come on let's get on to Arsenal because <laughs> I want to talk about another guy who's somewhat forlorn he gets a chance in the first few minutes of the game nah, you're thinking here we go his foot at it. <laughs> and it was Kai Havertz with a bit of an air kick sadly and you did I mean I tweeted just going oh Kai because it's sort of like you have the, I've like, on an incredibly lower level I remember I was playing I was playing for a team uh, sort of lower semi-pro and it was when sort of forums started kicking off and then there was like people started writing on it and I'm like what who cares about this but they seem to and someone like hammered me saying not good enough it doesn't get out of pitch and that, like, all this stuff and I was like oh. and I remember playing that weekend we played Guildford City at the Spectrum and it wasn't a good pitch. And I used to struggle sort of November, like those sticky months with mm -hmm. the terrible pitches. I wasn't... I had a good, yeah, I had, stamina, <laughs> I had great stamina, but I didn't... I was a Gareth Barry. Oh, I'm, I'm, with a Gareth Barry. I'm with you. I'm with you. But it, yeah, I didn't have this sort of pace or dribbling or anything like that. And uh, I just remember thinking, oh my God, get me off this pitch. Yeah, yeah, get me yeah. off. I've never felt like that. I got taken off at half time. And I was so relieved. Mm -hmm. It was such a relief to be taken off. I just didn't want the ball to come near me. Kai Havertz, to give him credit, you know, in terms of possibly winning that penalty, I thought it was a penalty. He he, he hung in there, but he is doing exactly that right now. Mm -hmm. I did want to get your take on his impact on the team mm -hmm. and your feelings on what to do with him between mm -hmm. now and the end of the season where we'll be deciding if he's been a success or not in this first season. This analogy is not mine. It's from a guy called Clive Palmer, who you should have on here. It's brilliant. I've heard um, about him. Yeah, he's I've, top, yeah. top, top, top. He, uh, he has an analogy about uh, the air stewardess. If you're going through turbulence on a plane and you look at the air stewardess and she's stressed, mm. you're stressed. Mm. If you're going through turbulence and they're sat there and having a conversation, you relax. Kai Habert's is clearly going through some psychological stress. Like you watch him, he's yeah, yeah. he's not happy in himself. And look, there's there's you could say play through that, you could say take him out, whatever. I think you've got to look at it from a he first 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 and foremost, there's a there's a perception issue from a fan perspective where uh, against uh, I said this in a video recently that Nottingham Forest, I think he had 103 minutes on the pitch or something like that, and he was on the ball for about two of those. Now, as fans, of course, we think about the on-ball stuff. We mentioned the the, the the big chances missed. But for 100 and however many minutes that is, I can't do the maths now because I can't remember what I said. 101. 101. <laughs> now that was, yeah. um, uh, he's off the ball, mm -hmm. right? So there is an argument that I disagree with, but there is an argument to say you should almost entirely judge a player off the ball. And what Kai Habits does on the off the ball, I promise you, go. he's a, he's a rewatch player is what I call him. He's someone who you have to go watch the game back and go, ah, if he hadn't made that run, if he hadn't made that moment there, if he hadn't blocked that passing lane, if he hadn't whatever, things don't happen. So he's a facilitative player. But people expect him to come in and score 20 goals a season or, yeah. or whatever it is because they think he's a nine or he, they think he's a, you know, a, a centre forward, a cam, my right. least favourite <laughs> phrase of all. Um, so, and, yeah. and he's not, he's obviously not exactly the same, but to a point, he is a Xhaka replacement. And that, well, that's another. And he issue. was a facilitator last year, but also had yeah. numbers too, actually. Mm. Exactly, and and perception-wise, that's another issue because Arsenal fans really warmed to Jack last season. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a perception issue, but I also think he has an issue in terms of the 
the setup of the team at the minute and, and the way the eights are working. At the moment, Arsenal have a massive, I feel, we have a massive disconnection between our six and our centre-backs and our eights. And if you look at the passing networks, so there's a guy on Twitter called Scott Willis who does some great work on this. Go look at the passing networks from last season. There's a nice, thick passing network between William Saliba and Martin Odegaard. Great mm-hmm. app called 12 as well if you want to... Want to oh, you and your, you and your um, an average position yeah, maps. An average Love position. it. You know me. Um, that has completely gone. So that connection's gone. So we've started to go out wide. And the problem is Arsenal at the moment are playing outside of everyone's shape. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not accessing Kai Havertz. That's an issue, right? And that's not really his problem. He had something like 28 touches in the game against Fulham before he came off. Fabio Vieira in half the time had, I think, like five or six more. So we're not accessing him. Right. So that's, that's part of the issue. But then also he's struggling to affect the game. He is. like you know there is, And at some point that is on him. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is not... I don't think he wants the ball right now. And that happens. A hundred percent. As you I, described yourself. I think the thing with him is I don't know if it's going to work out. No. But what I think the best thing that is on its way is Champions League football mm-hmm. because that's more gains mm-hmm. and you can take him out mm-hmm. and put him in. And that gives you two things. It gives him a break. Mm-hmm. I always remember um, I remember Joe Hart. I know this is obviously a goalkeeper, but I think, what was the manager? Pellegrini, right? He, Joe Hart was having a really tough time mm-hmm. making mistakes. And there was this sort of like, do you stick with him or do you take him out? Yeah. I remember Pellegrini took him out for two games. Mm-hmm. And it just took, went, it just went, mm-hmm. just took the heat out of it for a second. Yeah. Brought him back in. He's absolutely fine. Mm. Played the rest of the season. Was fantastic as well. And I think Kai Havertz needs that a little bit. So it could provide that. But it could also, if if you want an out to let someone else play, mm-hmm. you then, you go, well, it's not that you're not great. It's that we have to rotate because we've got Champions mm-hmm. League football. We need to give someone else an opportunity. And I'm afraid they've taken that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So now in these big games, sorry, Kai, you're going to have to sit on the bench. I think that's possible. But again, we come back to player treatment. And ultimately, you have to look at every single case individually. If you look at the case of, like, for, for example, Aaron Ramsdale, mm-hmm. people go, the signing of David Raya, well, that's, what is that about Ramsdale? For Ramsdale, that is the best thing that you could possibly yeah. do for him. Because when he goes away in away games, he grows. Like Declan Rice, when the moment's there, he grows into it. That's what Ramsdale mm-hmm. does. When he's when he's at a home game, it's a 12.30 kickoff, that's when you're worried about Ramsdale. Right, I... So Raya is the best thing for him to sign him competition. Mm-hmm. But Kai Havertz, I wonder whether taking him out is the best. I wonder whether playing through it. And I, to be honest, I trust Mikel on that. Mm-hmm. What, what would you do? I'd play him through it. Would you? But, but what I do, to be honest, Mate, what I do is I switch the eights because at the moment, Martin Erdegaard is it's hard without having sort of the taxis pulled or whatever, but broadly, the angles are more favourable, I think, for Guy Havertz on the right-hand side to basically go outside, facilitate Saka coming inside. One of our biggest problems at the moment is we can't access the eights. So you mm-hmm. need someone who can who can receive from the centre-backs and Saka is one of the best at holding holding up the ball and yes. playing that ball around yeah. the corner, right? He's so strong. Amazing. The ability to do that, to get Saka into lane four, means you need an eight or an overlapping fullback to do that. Kai Havertz on the right-hand side can facilitate Saka, play those balls. He can do it for Chelsea. He actually spent more time in the right on the right-half space. But are you then just crowbarring here when you've got Absolutely. Trossard knocking Fiera, about? You've got Smith-Rowe. These, yeah, Smith-Rowe. These, Smith these guys, like, if I'm Smith-Rowe... Yeah. I'm irritated. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe he didn't go. Like, I thought, mm. like, as in, even on loan, on loan, yeah. Go like mm. I was saying, go pl- go play for Crystal Palace. Like, mm-hmm. Be the guy. Be Conor Gallagher like he was there, and, he, and it would be different. He also had about a week off because he went to play the U21 Championships because mm. he wanted to prove himself. So you know, he must be thinking, what more can I do? Yeah. Well, I think with the sit- like the situation with Havertz, it's like he's he's walked into 
both a good and a bad situation from different perspectives. Like from a managerial standpoint, I don't think he can have anyone better than Mikel Arteta right now because he will protect his players and he will look after them. And that rhymed. <laughs> and he will talk to them and he will like do what kind of modern managers, I guess, need to do with, as we were saying about the modern treatment of players. But he's walked into a situation at the club where the expectations of where you are yeah. might not play to what he needs right now mentally and, and psychologically because you're no longer, you are still the challenger because you've got Man City there and probably while Man City have Pep, you'll always be the challenger just because so, yeah. of who they are. Yeah. But last season, it was like everything was a bit of a bonus. It was like you didn't expect to be second for mm -hmm. sure. Top four, probably. Mm -hmm. But like no one expected that. And now you're like, OK, you've gone second and you spent 160, 70 odd million. And then now kick on. And you've also I was a bit worried, not worried because I don't care. It's Arsenal. But I was a bit like kind of um, weirded out by looking at our midfield when you had Casemiro, Mount and Bruno. That just never made sense because Mount mm -hmm. and Bruno are archetypes of each other. And we have something where Casemiro is maybe not at the race is a bit older. Rice could probably take a bit of the flack of having two eights and they can do what they need to do because he is young and he's more mobile. But do you ever see that there's going to be an issue where the fact that you have two very similar players in a very big area of the pitch is going to come to hurt you on the transition? Or do you trust Rice to be like, I'm the guy here, I'll look after you, go and do what too you want? Too similar in terms of Rice and... Rice, no, too similar in terms of Habits and Odegaard. Well, if you look at Habits' numbers, he's our best dual winner. Mm. I think this is another perception issue that we see. We see he's a tall sort of, you know, forward or whatever. Actually, he's really, he's re especially in constructing a press, he's really intelligent. If you go watch, watch the first half against Man City in the Community Shield, mm. Havertz is doing some incredible stuff, making Rodri drop back. Like, enough, yeah. it's not stuff that is obvious to the eye. It's a rewatch yeah, stuff, yeah, which yeah. The coaches love. Yeah, yeah, but again, it's about controlling the narrative, yeah. which which actually Arteta did this week. He mm. came out and said, he said, I love Havertz. He's doing this. We need to show him love. He created a bit of an us versus them thing, which I think is important. But something... So I don't worry about that from a football perspective, but I do worry about it from a perspective of there's some people who walk in a room and they arrive. Mm -hmm. They don't need to prove anything. They're just there. They're just they're just happy to be themselves. Nothing can get through them. Some people they walk in a room and they want to prove themselves. They want yeah, to go. Yeah. They want to be the, the person speaking over everyone. They want to be the person whatever. Yeah. And Kai Havertz is probably someone who wants to sit in the corner and not say anything. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now none of those are wrong. No. But the blend of those in a team is hard to get. And yeah. at the moment, I think Martin Erdegaard is a is a reserved guy supposedly doesn't talk particularly much but when he does speak people pitch. listen yeah and he does speak on the pitch do you want both eights with that character mm -hmm. i want an eight who's going to get at you yeah, yeah, yeah. from my perspective yeah maybe that's that's where you kind of have that behind i thought i i enjoyed i know you were frustrated with the game yesterday but i look if, if Declan rice is injured i want you want Partey there you don't want zinchenko there but as a two the freedom that zinchenko had and the dynamism that he kind of has and it then allows rice to be the guy sometimes mm. being the guy is important as yeah. well i think odegaard who stepped up brilliantly for that goal and it was genius with the way he understood the space but you, sometimes you can have too many you can have too many guys yep. mm -hmm. and I, I so you in terms of that leadership mm -hmm. maybe you have something where Zinchenko grows into you have Zinchenko and Rice as your two kind of leaders, mm -hmm, loud mm -hmm. leaders, and then you can have the two quiet guys in front. Yeah. And maybe it's that's about a blend, whatever it, it is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. Because we've been chatting about we've been chatting for an hour and a half, which is amazing. <laughs> um, final statements on the season so far for your club. Um, just a bit of therapy, just to finish off. Um, I'm just intrigued to know how you you feel. My, and I don't. And maybe put your fingers in your ears. I'm just going to give my thought for a second. I think. I think Man United will be miles better mm -hmm. than what we've seen so far. I think it will come. I believe in Eric Ten Hag. 
I actually think Amrabat will be so, so useful. And I've done a video on this, but I, I think Mount and Amrabat will be far, yeah, far that. better. Sorry, Mount and Casemiro yep. will be far, far better for for having um, having Amrabat in, in the team. Hoyland as well. I thought there were some really nice moments there, wasn't there? You can kind of see. But again, he's another one. He's like four or five games and he hasn't scored, then that could be a, a mm-hmm. concern. But overall, I do think the cavalry is coming for, for Man United. For Arsenal, for me, it's like it was the season before last season, it's a cohesion thing. And so they've got the baseline of, of plan A is there, as you say, but when it's sort of looking for the A1, the A2, uh, those different plans, that will take time. Yes. And what's been put at Pep, because this is the, you know, that's what you're aiming at. You're aiming at what he's been able to create in terms of that dominance. That takes a second. And you can't, it's about looking good in May, mm-hmm. not, catching fire and you know Tottenham might be the opposite where it's like they catch fire now and then when it gets a bit tense then they kind of may lose their way mm-hmm. Arsenal I think again will also come incredibly good and actually do you know what I think will also be a myth for Arsenal is is the big games and the bottling I think that I think that goes away this year mm-hmm. I really think Arsenal may not win the league because I just think Man City are a joke but they I really think they could win the Champions League this year I really <laughs> do I really do Anyway, those those are my just top line thoughts. So, uh, thoughts on Man United? Yeah, I think to be honest, we I love Eric Ten Hag. Like it, he can do wrong in my head. He hasn't done much wrong. I think he's played with the cards he's dealt, and he's done he's done a really good job. Last season, if you'd have said third trophy, and we we ended the season getting compared with you guys and saying like who had the better season in, in reality, you did. But like we were in that conversation because of Eric. And when you we had Valt Vegels coming off the bench and you know, and people think, why didn't he kick on? He he's a manager who, like other managers, have had their wings clipped completely by the pure incompetence at board level. And I think the issue that I always have looking into any season while they're there is because I I we've been, you know, get the green scarves out, get the Norwich scarves out. We've been doing it we've been doing it since the very moment they came in. And whether Sky want to admit it or not, you hear it on the broadcast that we when want you're them winning, out. and we hear it when we're winning. Yeah, we heard true. it in the first game of the season. We heard it in the F- in the League Cup final when we beat um, Newcastle. We heard it. So I don't care what anyone says. We all are united on that, and we want them gone. But there's a ceiling we can't crack through until they're gone. I think the most that we can really hope for is almost a carbon copy of what we had last season, and that would be a great season because it because last year was great. But with Ten Hag, what I like is that he's getting back to some of the philosophies we've lost at Man United over the, over the time because we I was tired of having egotists at the club in terms of managers and players. I was tired of having Mourinho there. Wrong appointment. One of the worst we've made in terms of the fit. He just wasn't the right guy. Louis van Gaal, exactly the same. Oli was a bit too far on the other side and now we've gone somewhere nice in the middle with, with Ten Hag. He's coming from an institution of pure success of breeding youth players and I think this season will actually hinge on a lot of our youth players because we've not just got issues with Sancho. We've got some with Anthony potentially coming on. So mm. I'm hoping to see the likes of Ahmad Diallo, Facundo Pellistri, Kobe Mainu would, would 100% play. Pellistri's 29 now, isn't he? He's not going to have range. Jesse Lingard. Yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. No, but we, we definitely will because he, he values them. He's, he's made it clear, if you're not going to play, you're gone. Or yeah. will I phase you out? Like Sancho has kind of been phased out, and I think we we saw Jones leave, we saw Bayer leave, we saw Fred leave. Unfortunately, I quite like Fred, but then we have all of that. So I'm I'm optimistic in the sense that when I think this is as bad as it gets, and it hasn't been awful. We've yeah. had an awful start with injuries, like one of the worst in the league. We've had an awful, awful start. We need this break. It's not nice to come off the break knowing we've lost to you lot in such a bad way, but it's nice to know. Okay, 
He's getting Amrabat in. He's got his man. He knows him. I don't even know he know him, but he does. And we've now got... If if I were to go through my strongest 11 or United against most in the league, we have a very good 11. So... Yeah. Just need to get him all fit. Just get him all fit. See where we're at. But okay. um, I love the manager and I'll back him to the hill. Alex, Arsenal? I believe Arsenal have the capacity to be... to win 34 league games. The four, I don't believe that we that we could win, but I'm not like we have the capacity to do that. We should go and do that. City home and away, mm-hmm. Anfield, Old Trafford. Those are the four. Those are the only four I'm worried about. So on that perspective, I believe Arsenal have the capacity to win the league. I don't think we will though, mm-hmm. because sort of as you mentioned earlier, developing those different ways of of doing things takes time. Yeah. Pep has had years and years and years of time to do that, but not only that, he has credit in the bank. Hmm. His credit in the bank with the players and his credit in the bank with 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 the fans, really, yeah. ultimately. So there's no pressure from outside. If Pep goes and plays Bernardo Silva at left back, you don't get Man City fan TV going, What's he doing? Yeah. You don't get that because Pep has that has that credit in the bank. And I think it will just take some time, as you mentioned, to get to that point where Arteta has that credit to show that we can go different ways. He had an analogy this week about his drive to London Colney. Sometimes you've got, you know, this uh, this drive down here. Sometimes you need to pick the kids up from school. Sometimes there's a lorry on the road. You've got different ways of doing it. And we had a brilliant plan A last season. I also think we're still, I believe, maybe second, but we're still the youngest team in the league. It's something that we don't we don't really think about. But Declan Rice, twenty four. Kai Havertz, twenty four. Bakari Saka, twenty two. Today, happy birthday. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, twenty two. Like we're still a very very young team, so I still think we've got some time to develop. Um, and I just think it's going to take another year. Okay, wonderful stuff, guys. Absolutely wonderful debuts. Well done. <laughs> great work. Top. It's great uh, fun. Okay, guys. Links in the description to both are wonderful, beautiful guests please 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 check them out follow them give them that support enjoy their content um also if you've enjoyed this check out all our other podcasts it's it's quite an evergreen podcast if you're listening for the first time we sort of talk about all sorts of stuff and cover all sorts of teams as well so it's quite a yeah it's got a it's got a nice little explorative vibe about it so go check out all the other podcasts that we've done uh, we're nearly at 50 five now. Five-star review. Five-star review. Go check out that Athletic podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see you very soon.